2: And I love listening to Vish Khanna's Creative Control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine, or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now.
0: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today.
2: Alex Edkins is a talented songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and singer based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from the Ottawa area, Edkins is best known as the lead singer and guitarist in the colossal noise rock band Metz, and he also plays in the band Lids. During the pandemic, Edkins went through his archive of songs that didn't quite fit anywhere else and endeavored to use any sudden downtime he might have had on his hands to flesh them out on his own. The result is a self-titled album by his solo band, Weird Nightmare, and it's out worldwide via Sub Pop Records on May 20th, 2022. Alex returned to this show to discuss things like the origin of Weird Nightmare and what distinguishes it from the work he's most associated with, collaborating with other musicians like Winter Sleep's Lowell Campbell, Bullies' Alicia Boniano, and Chad Van Galen, The Beatles and Familiar Faces, Loving the mid-90s Halifax pop music explosion and indie rock, but really only playing in hardcore bands until now. How the songwriting process in Mets might evolve, what revisiting older songs taught him about himself, tour dates for Mets and Weird Nightmare, other future plans, and more a part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creativecontrol with additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and friendly staff who will happily help you with anything you need, really, any orders you want to make. Hey, what if you want to order the the Weird Nightmare record? Well, go to blackbird.ca, see if they can't help you out. Plus, in kind support from Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 687 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Alex Edkins of Weird Nightmare and Metz, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. how's it going? It's
1: going good. How are you doing?
2: I'm well, thank you. Thanks for asking. Uh, where in the world are you there? I'm home in Toronto. Ah. How are things for you in Toronto today? What is your day in Toronto shaping up to be like?
1: I'll tell you, it's a whole bunch of press.
2: Oh, you're doing a lot of interviews today. Yeah, yeah, today. Um, oh so Oh, boy. Do uh, you like that? Do you like the when they... they sometimes they do this to you because you're a busy person. You're in Mets, so you're, you're flying all over the place these days again. But uh, do you like it when it's like a concentrated amount of interviews? Is it exhausting? Yeah, there's a limit
1: uh, for sure. And, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm doing this often, but once in a while we'll pack a day full of press and try to get it out of the way, I suppose. And uh, oh, this makes kinda... me feel good. Yeah, this makes me feel great.
2: <laughs> I'm an obstacle. Not you. I'm, 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 <laughs> no, not you. You're special. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. No, it's uh, I, I find uh, sometimes when I'm talking to people, they'll say stuff like, uh, oh, I never thought of that before, uh, which is nice uh, to hear sometimes, because I think that's why you have conversations to learn things. Do you find it helpful when you do an interview? Like, do you learn stuff about what you do?
1: What do you mean to hear yourself talking about what you do and you like the process and stuff?
2: No, I was like, well, not to hear yourself per se. I mean, when people say, "Hey, I made an observation about you and your work," and it occurs to me that you've done this, and do you ever go like, "Oh, wow, I never thought of that in a million years. That's amazing." I maybe I was doing that. I don't know. Like, do you ever have those sort of revelations?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's a, it's an occasional
2: thing. You okay. kind of hope for that to happen, where someone has a different
1: perspective on what you're doing and it's it's not all so obvious so that's the hope of an interview i think is is for someone to bring something uh interesting from a different angle That you know
2: yeah i'm putting pressure on myself now why did i bring this you are it's it's a lot (laughs) a lot to live up to all of a sudden well it's nice to have you back on the show let me say that we've i feel no pressure i feel like we're gonna have a nice chat congratulations on this uh this release so it's weird nightmare is the name of the thing that's uh i don't know for some reason i immediately i know he's on the record when i hear weird nightmare i can't help but think of chad van galen i don't know why i just feel like all of his aesthetic is sort of a weird nightmare you know like that's how i think Mm -hmm. of it. but um the narrative around this release is that some of these songs stretch back to 2013 or something like that which is interesting i think I i see there's a certain amount of uh adamant language that this is not a pandemic record per se it was just happened to have been made during this time is that yeah. right is that correct
1: yeah i mean it's a bit of both it was definitely something that was brewing for a long time and i had decided that i was going to to finish um a lot of unfinished ideas and demos far before the pandemic hit but of course the pandemic you know allowed for it to get finished, because before that, you know, Mets would be on the road a lot, and finding the time or the energy was tough. So this was something that, okay, it's now or never kind of thing. It allowed me to to focus on this thing that I'd been meaning to do for a long time. So in that way, the pandemic was great. And yeah, I mean, I think I was trying to avoid the idea that this was something that happened only because of the pandemic. It was is it just, I think it, it's a little, to me, it's a little bit more, it's bigger than that. It's a little bit more important than that. To me, it's something that I, I've been hoping to do for a long time.
2: Yeah, I think uh, where whereas coming from with the, the name of the project, if you will, is this has been a weird nightmare. Uh, so I wondered if, does that name stretch back beyond... Uh Beyond the pandemic, or is that a is that a pandemic product, Weird Nightmare?
1: Yeah, it might be. I mean, it's more of like a working title that, you know, I put on a folder of songs that ended up sticking. That's, you know, I like to think of it as my thoughts about going and doing something without my bandmates. The idea of doing something solo and putting your neck out like that was a bit of a nightmare, you know, something I had to overcome. <laughs> And maybe a weird idea for me to to do at this point, but there's also certainly the 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 part about when and where I was recording the album was a rehearsal factory on Richmond Street in Toronto, and after homeschooling my son all day, well, I like to I mean I was more like his secretary, you know, as he did his online schooling, <laughs> you know, just. Here's your apple slices and uh, hey, here's your piece of paper. Right. After that, I would spend most nights at the rehearsal factory, R.I.P. But uh, and and recording, you know, uh, in in there for hours and hours, and I was the only one in there. In this huge, like there wasn't a peep, you know, there was no one there. And it's usually a place that was bustling and loud and you know like maybe fifty other bands jamming down the hall anyway, so that was certainly was strange and plays into the name, I think as well
2: I see now there's a couple of things you said there that I want to touch upon um, first of all, I think most of us who start playing music on some level we have to do stuff on our own to build up our chops, so we're kind of solo artists from the get-go, just trying to figure out our stuff. Have you ever been a solo? public musician I'm, I'm trying to think like i know you as you know i mean i think we we first ca- encountered each other in the context of mets i knew chris from other bands i knew hayden from other bands uh and i know you, was it you and hayden that would collaborate sometimes in ottawa is that correct
1: yeah that's mets got started in ottawa that's um, how you started with, yeah. with hayden and me yeah
2: yeah so did you ever were you ever yourself uh, as a public musician no no, hmm. so this okay. is
1: this definitely a new thing, and I think it stems from just all of the recording and demoing and writing I was doing for Metz, and starting to feel really good about it. You know, basically have, bringing songs that were f- fully realized to the fellas, and uh, them liking them, and you know, other people liking them, and said, "Okay, you know, I think I can, I can do this." You know, it won't be the same, but it will be something that is from the heart and something that I like. I like and feel good about. So, yeah, it's just it took it took me this long to sort of have the confidence. I think.
2: Well, you have a very supportive uh, band of brothers there, I would think. At least that seems that way to me. Uh, was any of this stuff in weird Nightmare stuff you had tried with Mets and thought nah, this isn't working?
1: Yeah, to be totally honest there's a couple tunes um that date way back that i think when i first was working on them i i thought they would be met songs but the cool thing about Mets is that you know it really is the the three of us that make this certain sound together and uh those guys have a sound that's quite distinct and it just doesn't always click it's uh you know as you know Hayden's style of drumming is pretty singular. Yes, absolutely. It's like yeah. he's like my favorite drummer in the world, and um, so if he sits down and plays to a song that I've written and it doesn't click, it just means it's not for that band. <laughs> I can still like the song, and I still think there's merits to it, but like he's very much the engine of of Matt. So there's no there's no point in my mind in trying to stick him in a different box because he's uh he's so important to our sound
2: so do you you play everything on this record drums everything
1: um I play everything except for drums I play drums in a couple small moments on the, the album hmm. but no Lowell Campbell from winter sleep plays drums and he's sort of the you know you know you call it a solo album but I've had a, I had a lot of people involved as well a lot of help and a lot of Things that came to pass that if they didn't, you know, if they, they didn't kind of sync up, the album wouldn't have happened. And certainly Lowell is probably the biggest one there. He he was out on the East Coast during the pandemic and had a cottage out there and his drums and and his mics. So I would do these songs with a drum machine and then I would send him the tracks. And because he's such a great musician, he was somehow able to like give the songs like this. You know, live feel and this kind of uh, push and pull that, that, quite honestly, I was shocked to hear when he would send them back to me. So that was kind of a, an amazing thing that flukishly happened where he was down to do that um, and they really are kind of strange method. Really worked in my opinion. I like I love how it sounds.
2: No, it sounds it sounds great. Uh, and I, it's that's nice that you really took an opportunity to branch out. I mean, I think you know I've been really uh, obsessively uh, uh, reading about and watching things about the Beatles lately for some strange reason I don't know they're just in the air maybe there was a documentary out a few months ago that every <laughs> yeah maybe. but I, I'm reading like a book uh, I'm just finishing a book by their engineer Jeff Emmerich and he goes by he engineered all of their stuff basically except for when he had I've read that one have yeah. you read that book here there and everywhere yeah yeah it's yeah. man he slags George Harrison in every chapter every chapter he's just like George can't <laughs> play and I was like yeah. wow But, um, no, it's interesting. When they went solo, like, each of them would call upon, well, not Paul, but each of them would call upon Ringo or George. Like, John would call upon George and Ringo, even though they'd sort of branched out and had this sort of acrimonious breakup. Well, I guess the three of them were united, John, uh, Ringo, and George, and then Paul was the outlier. But it's, it's always struck me that even as they broke up, like three of them would collaborate a lot and so you could you probably could have been like man i need drums on this who would i why wouldn't i just ask Hayden? i i think it's nice that you were like you know what i'm gonna take this somewhere else to see how it goes and you got Lowell, arguably the another like one of the most distinctive and incredible drummers in this country so that's great too i mean i'm just happy for you that you feel like you had this outlet it's great
1: yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, I, it's an honor to have him on the record. Same with a lot of the the other guests, you know. Um, but yeah, back to the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> R- you know, Ringo's the the vibe guy. He they they need him around. You can see in that latest movie. He's he brings the calm. He brings the cool. And and I mean, obviously, amazing drummer. What utterly, utterly,
2: say? utterly unique drummer. I just think. Yeah. Well, my, I totally understand on a musical level and on a vibes level and a familiarity level. That's what Jeff Emmerich often says is that when the Beatles did make solo things, they always wanted a familiar engineer or producer around. He often says that. They asked me to do a thing, I think just because they wanted a familiar face around. Um, so I, I, it's interesting that you're in a, do you want to cite some of the other people on the record, by the way? I assume they're friends, but it's interesting to yeah. me that you went somewhat unfamiliar uh, on a musical dynamic.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the point, right? Then And the reason, it, it did cross my mind to ask Chris and Hayden to be on the record. And then I, I was kind of like, well, what's the point of that? Yeah. It, you know, as much as I love the way they play, the whole point was to not do that this time. So I got uh, Alicia from a band called Bully uh, to sing on a track called Wreck. And she just has one of those singular voices to me. It's like immediately you know it's Alicia. So I was really happy that, that she was down to do that. And I think, you know, it was one of the, you just follow your gut. And I was like, this song needs something. And mm-hmm. I'm going to see if someone wants to sing on it. Um, another guest, Chad Van Galen. I just love his music. have have for, for the longest time and have so much respect for him. And, you know, we've run into each other over the years. And that one was just sort of like, T- tossing it out there into the universe like hey you want to do this and and he obliged and played some crazy instruments uh like you know chinese mouth organ and uh santor and in a so like a spot where someone would usually put a guitar solo he he decides to do that and yeah that's classic classic chad yeah
2: he was on the show not too long ago talking about all the sort of scavenging he's doing for instruments and making instruments mm-hmm. and uh He'll sometimes just text me photos with no caption of what he made, and I'm like, "What is it?" And he, I get no response. Like he's like, "It's a th- whatever." Like it's he's so funny and uh, inventive. So, no, it's lovely. That's lovely. I I, I just think it's lovely. So, the, you mentioned that, or I asked rather, um, if some of these songs didn't work in Metz, and and you figured it out. You you chalked it up mostly to Hayden and the feel that he brings to things, but there must be other things. Like, I will say when the record starts, I believe it starts, I'm sorry, I I have some notes in front of me. I try not to have notes in front of me, which is maybe bad, I don't know. Searching for You is the first song, right? Yeah. Yeah, Searching for You when it gets going. I'm like, oh, this is Mets-oriented. But then as the record goes, and this is my, by the way, I should clarify, my first impression in pressing play was like, oh, some of this... Well, that's clearly Alex. Like this is mm-hmm. only, this is Mets esque. But then, as you spend more time with it, you're like, oh, this isn't. Forget what you think. Forget forget what you're reading about. Listen to it, and you're like, oh, this isn't Mets. It's it's just not. It's not even. It's different somehow. I'm
1: glad you think so. Yeah, I think it. I think it's really different. Um...
2: It is. That's. I, I will say that after repeated listening, for sure, and me getting over the context. Like if someone just slipped me this thing, I wouldn't know what it was um mm-hmm. on some level. So I think it's a context thing. Like, oh, the guy from Mets, okay, this is clearly Mets like and then you the more and by the end of the record you're like this is nothing like Mets when mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. when you hear the final song. So for you though, uh as the songwriter, as the person attacking these songs with your voice and your uh, sort of lyrical approach, what distinguishes Weird Nightmare from Mets for you personally? I'm just curious. I think
1: you know, it's funny because Searching for You, that was one of the newer songs. That started off as sort of like a T Rex, slow, very slow thing, and then I sped it up to make it feel comfortable for me. But for me, it was about embracing the hook. Like it was, it was about connecting with a part of me that just loves pop music and. Uh, loves simplistic songwriting So song, it was sort of like Not aesthetic first, not aggression Or rhythms first It was the song first, it was the hook um, The melody And I just decided that's gonna be The thing on this record So I wanted a big chorus in every song Pretty much I wanted it to be fun to listen to And easy to listen to You know, I have my Certain palette that I work with And it's usually my production approach is, you know, distorted and then more distorted, and that's just what I love. But I did want it to be this thing that had repeat listen value and just made maybe you know put a smile on someone's face uh, because of the melodies and things. Because that's what it did for me. It was like my happy place, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better
2: term. Well, so I will, like I say, the distinct for me it's distinctive from Mets. But on the other hand, I always hear solid pop hooks in Mets. Like, yes. that's the interesting thing about Mets to me is that it is totally in the realm of noise rock, but you, when you break through the surface or, or whatever it is, the ocean of noise, whatever you want to call it, you seem to me to be a pop person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's True. always verses and co- verse, chorus, verse kind of stuff and bridges and those sort of things, I think, in Mets. I'm, I'm being a bit reductive, um, but... So, on the one hand, yeah, totally distinctive, Uh, Weird Nightmare is from Mets, but on the other, it's you. So, you are a pop guy. I mean, that's... Yeah. Even even in Mets, probably, it's fair to say, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I love the most, and this is me just going even further with it, or at least attempting to, um, just to push that, and you know i i listen to a wide range of music obviously and i love hardcore and punk and but i think you know i also grew up with some of that east coast indie rock and then that was pure popist stuff the inbreds and bands like that or you, eric's trip and bands like that that's pop music to me it's got a lot more going on but it, at the heart of it you know they're just writing simplistic really well written pop songs like the, yeah. you know uh Flashing Lights or Thresh Herman and stuff like that. Yeah. And i that's kind of what I grew up on. A little bit adjacent to learning about underground punk and stuff. So it's hardcore. all mixed in there.
2: Yeah. We're very similar, you and I, because that mm-hmm. was my entry point too. It's interesting when I think on it. Like The music I made when I first started playing music with my friends was all within the realm of hardcore punk, uh, pretty much, or, or some... Uh, when I was first playing with Steve Lampke and Dallas Worley, Dallas wanted to play with a drum machine and a drummer. So it was me and a drum machine. So very noisy and strange and cacophonous. But we all, like, listened to different things. Like, Steve and I were maybe the most aligned, like Merge Records, Super Chunk, uh, and stuff like that. But they did not really go for my East Coast stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. Like, I totally was a pop guy but playing in like hardcore punk bands i feel like you maybe you were the same like you never really explored your love of pop in a live setting i'm guessing like as a, in exactly a band? or
1: yeah. even really recorded um yeah but you know if you were to go through my record collection it's a huge amount of it is you know 60s garage and beat music you know the british invasion and stuff and and then uh and then sort of indie rock, I guess, or like you know the Flying yeah. Nun stuff, and all you know the deal. So it's it's just, and that's just pure pop music, and I love it. Well, <laughs> and I, try, I that's what I wanted to do here.
2: I used to before there was YouTube. I was YouTube in my neighborhood, so I would record every late night band. Like if a band was on late night TV, I would tape it. I have I still have them in the basement here. In Edmonton all these VHS tapes that I can I have a VCR too that's how old school I am <laughs> but anyway I have a distinct memory of bringing I was just telling Steve Lampke about this the other day uh, Steve and Dallas were at my house one night and I said oh we got to watch uh, this and I put it on and it was pavement doing stereo on late night with Conan O'Brien and st- I think Steve was relatively tolerant of it but Dallas did not like it at all And I'm just, I'm not telling tales out of school. It's just, what do you think that, I just want your perspective on it because I think about it sometimes. Why were we not chasing after, normally when you're into music you and you're making it for the first time, you kind of chase after the stuff you listen to the most. But I don't know that I was doing that. Like I listened to hardcore and punk, but it was just like something in my brain didn't go for it. Didn't go to, didn't try to play like the Super Friends. When I was at home, I would try to figure out their guitar parts. And I would try to figure out the drums with some of my friends. But when I was with Dallas and Steve, we went – I don't know how else to describe it. There was something aesthetically that we realized was more – or we decided maybe was more substantive or cool or something. And I don't know what it means. Like When you're finding yourself as a kid, you want to be – you want to assert yourself and do something different. You don't want to copy people, I think. But at the same time, the magical feeling when you first get – for me – the most magical moment for me on guitar was the first time I, I learned how to play Come As You Are by Nirvana. Sure. And I was like, Oh, sure. that's how you do it? That's it. What the hell? And so but yeah, I, it's easy. I, yeah. But I didn't really go after that in my own pursuits. Do you have any perspective on because you sound the same as me. You love that stuff. I, but you you know,
1: it's hard to to say because you were probably just in some ways going with the flow of, yeah. you know, what your friends wanted to do and I think I did that too and and also, at that time, stuff like Pavement, it wasn't, maybe maybe it was too uh, hard to play, I think, actually. Well, to or too commercial for your oh, your maybe. cool factor.
2: Maybe. No, but I love Pavement. No, but Pavement, or bands like Sonic Youth and Pavement were cool, but big, I think. They were like, big. If you went to go yeah. see them, you were around a thousand people, like no doubt.
1: Yeah. Uh, about yeah, it. Yeah, totally.
2: So they weren't...
1: And the only hardcore band that could do that was Fugazi. Yeah, that and was, I would and go see... Like, f-
2: yeah, and I saw Fugazi for the first time in 95 and that changed my life too. Like, so, and they... But they, curiously, might be the bridge here because Fugazi are ostensibly mm-hmm. a pop band. Like, they, they write hardcore and instrumental or rather interesting... I don't even know what you call them. They write interesting punk music from a pop aesthetic versus choruses, yep. thoughtful, intricate guitar parts. Uh yeah, learning how to play their stuff was also illuminating. Like just on the guitar, like, oh I, I anyway, sorry. I'm getting into more of a zone of that discovery mode where you realize you can do stuff that you're mm-hmm. you, the people you admire can do. I will say some of those bands they had chops that I didn't have. Like I would I still don't have. Like I could I can't do some of that stuff. So maybe it's an accessibility yeah. thing. Like you could you know what? I think I solved it. Because I don't know about you, but I also had my mind blown seeing like a Discord band play a basement show in Guelph. Mm-hmm. In like 1996, mm-hmm. Blue Tip played Guelph and we were like this band on Discord Records is playing like to 12 people. What the hell? Yeah.
1: But that got I mean that was my that was my experience of coming up in a music scene. That was what it was. It was like 20 people. Yeah. And uh, this heroic band coming from who knows where to play for you and for no (laughs) very little money and it was this truly magical thing that uh i don't i don't think most people get to experience so i feel lucky to experience it you know what's funny about this record for me is that it's almost like you know you're talking about pavement chops and fugazi chops and stuff this was in some way like Reversing that, like I wanted to simplify. Like I was like, you know, I think Mets was it's by no means technical music, but it's it's quite involved physically. And you know, I think we've created this type of language, uh, at least for me on guitar and things. This way of playing, and I wanted to just try something so opposite from that. So you know, like I think for the first time ever, I'm using traditional open chords and bar chords and it's like I was like wow <laughs> you know it's like, it's like how most people would feel finding like a weird sonic youth tuning or something I was feeling that way by playing a d chord
2: right right yeah
1: i was like yeah. oh my god this is so liberating because i have not done it for 10 years because mets is such a distinct animal and i and i love that that we have our own thing and i feel like i have this like These chord structures that I have made my own, but this was like the best just using (laughs) power chord, (laughs) you know, or like a traditional chord sequence or even like a like just stuff like that just made me so happy. And then, of course, when you do that, you get these, maybe they're obvious, but to me, they're just simply rewarding, like these rewarding melodies that just come with it. Yeah, they just come along so easily. Whereas with Mets, I'm using some kind of insane chord, and there's this bombastic beat and fuzzed-out bass, and I'm trying to sneak somehow a melody into it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with Weird Nightmare, it was like, well, the melody's right there. It's so obvious, and it feels awesome. So I just went with that.
2: So does revisiting, like as I said earlier, and I want to get to the fact that, am I correct? Like some of these songs date back to 2013? Is that what I read? Is, yeah. that, is that right? Okay, so I want to I don't want to miss that point, but, but just based on what you're saying, does this experience and in, in both revisiting and recording this material, do you see it potentially having any effect on how you would write for Mets now?
1: Well, I think we are all in a headspace where we want uh, the band to grow like always, you know, and I I feel like we achieved that on our last record and we continue to Go in new places, so I think it will absolutely do that. Like it will absolutely affect what we will consider to be Mets music. Like,
2: oh, okay, so but you haven't you know? start you haven't started that process with them, uh, with with new well,
1: songs. We, no, we have we, been working on new stuff. Yeah, okay, yeah. And, and do you feel and it? So do you, can you feel? Yeah, like a little feel
2: it. T- you feel a little tinge of what this experience has been like for you? Weird nightmare. It's it's infiltrating Mets a little bit.
3: Ah. Uh. <laughs>
1: Hard, honestly, it's hard to say. It's like, I think we were going that way anyway. But okay. when I say that way, I don't mean poppy. I just mean different.
2: Hey, guys, <laughs> what about just an open D chord? Like, are you just like, what if we just did this? And then like a, a G, like, you know, like almost yeah. uh, back to folk guitar school or something like that. Uh, yeah. So like, I, it sounds like there's a possibility that that might happen if it hasn't already. Just like... Why don't we go simple on this one? Like we've got all our Mets songs. We got eight of our solid Mets songs. You know the crazy bombastic ones. What if we just do one like this? You know, like what? Well, if- it's
1: not impossible. I'll say that. I th- I think I think we're more open-minded now than ever. That's where I I could leave it. You know, like I don't know. And we actually we never really know until the till it's recorded where it's going to go exactly, but. Yeah, I think everyone's open for change.
2: Well, like I alluded to the last song on the record, which is called uh, Holding Out. And this is like Beach Boys shoegaze territory almost all of a sudden. And it's really out of on some level kind of out of nowhere on some level. Like, yeah, I don't see Mets making that kind of song, but why not? I feel like Mets. In, yeah, in the, we, in the, we could. in the punk spirit, you could do anything. Really, and yep. if it makes sense, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, I think as you do your uh, uh, litany of interviews, you're probably gonna, <laughs> you're gonna run into this. People being like, "What? How does this work with Mets?" Because that's just our reference point. So, sorry if it's lazy, but I think, uh, I, know. I think there's a connection there. So, as I was saying, the songs date back to 2013. What does that mean exactly? Some of us start songs and then we don't finish them. And then mm-hmm. uh, we come back to them and finish them later. Maybe it could, cause sometimes it can take years. You, you do a little demo or something or you write something down. So what state of completion were some of these songs in, both um, sonically and lyrically? Lyrically, I'm particularly curious about because I know from my own experience, I'm sure you've had this too. If you put a song together in 2015 and you go back to it in 2018, you either really relate to that person or you're like, who mm-hmm. who was I? What was going on in my life yeah. or in the zeitgeist that made me write this? Did you have those little revelations? Like, did you have any? Um, like, I don't I don't know who I was or wow, I was really onto something. Did you have those moments in revisiting some of these songs?
1: Well, f- when I'm recording, I usually so I usually lay down a, like a drum machine track, a guitar track, and bass, and then scratch vocal and sometimes the scratch vocal you can just subconsciously you fluke on something it comes the words end up being the actual words that has happened for example the song on this one that goes back that far like dark room is a very old song that i thought was going to be a met song uh, but just never clicked and that one on what you hear on the album is is pretty much like first take run through with a drum machine all those tracks were like done back then and i've i recorded on top of them and added some things and graham walsh put a synth on it and it so did so did lowell so like there's there's new additions but yeah i ended up using a lot of the lyrics and it was a, it was very much like You know, I tried to respect the fact that it was an old song and where I was at at the time emotionally is valid. And, yeah, I I often have a hard time looking back on, on lyrics because, like you said, it's sort of, wow, okay. And you might not even remember what it was about. But the good thing I'd say about stuff like that is that it... It means something different to everyone and it can change over time, The you know, the meaning. So I don't think I had any – I didn't have any like, ooh, like, ooh, that's embarrassing or anything. Like I would ch- – w- there was nothing I would – I wanted to badly change, if, you know. If, well,
2: you know, like, songwriting is such a, a personal act but it then becomes this public act, right? So I Mm -hmm. often wonder about this, you know, you often hear about a musician who um, tries to therapeutically address some loss or trauma in their work. And if all goes well, that song resonates with an audience enough that you could be playing it. Live for 20, 30 years of just revisiting, (laughs) like in your, you know, what it was sort of where it came from, probably, unless you claim that you don't. Mm -hmm. Like some people are like, I don't know where that came from. It just came. Right. But what I look for in songs like this or a project like this that spans, you know, nine years, if you will, is the people populating the song. So, like the Searching for You to me, that song, Searching for You, to me sounds like a love song. Uh, but for you, it could be something different and it, and the you could be someone totally different than where you are now, you know, like who you were looking for yeah. then you know what I mean? Like, do you have any yeah. of that? Do you have any of that stuff? Sure. I mean,
1: so that song in particular is completely the you know, was me trying to do a kind of traditional love song and in in the but for me, the you in it, like the the person or the thing. Is, could be something bigger so I like to kind of play with that and be yeah. like okay it could be a person but it also could be like that feeling or that thing that we're constantly searching for in life that we never quite grab yeah, or we don't even know what it is so just kind of playing with that that helps me like kind of embrace some of the traditional tropes of songwriting without feeling like it's a useless thing <laughs> like to me it's it has to have something a little bit deeper than... Although, you know, at the same time, I love an Everly Brothers love song like as much as anyone else. So I don't know. I think there's value in both. Too. No, and
2: I, I'm i just trying to get into the artistic mind of like, someone or something has got to me. And I'm going to write a song about it right now because it's got to me. But then it lives forever. So these ghosts that you, yeah. that you... Like they become, I think, these songs populated by ghosts. Some of them you'd be like, I don't ever talk to that person anymore. We don't... We're not connected. But I wrote this song about them. And I think yeah. the song still has the feeling. Anyway, I don't want to get into it. Or, t-
1: or th- that that line just came to your head, and then you decided to write a song around
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, like I, there's a song here called uh, Is it called *Lusitania*? Am I saying that correct? Yeah. Now I was I was Google I was like *Lusitania*. That sounds that's an interesting that's a name in the context of this song, right? Yeah. But I looked it up, and the two things occurred to me. First of all, it reminds me of *The Kids Are Alright* by The Who. I'll say that right now. Uh, nice. Do you know that? Do you know that song? <laughs> I know. You're that familiar song. with that song. I don't know if you thought of it melodically, subconsciously, but I'm like, there's something about it. The way it ends, even it's like da 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 da. Like and I'm like, oh, it's a little bit of the. Do you like the? Oh. Do you like the Who?
1: Oh, I certainly like some of their songs. Yeah. yeah,
2: I think that's the general consensus now. When I was a kid, everyone loved the Who, and now as I get older, I talk to people like, yeah, they're they're fine, you know. Like they,
1: I mostly like the early singles and. Yeah. And I can appreciate the 70s rock god thing that they had going on, but that never hit me. It's sort of like... I think of it as like a thing with, with a certain era. It's like an age group that I was too young for. It's like people who love Kiss and Cheap Trick and The Who. I can't quite well understand it yeah. all the way because I missed it.
2: I uh, don't like greatest hits albums at all. I find them to mm-hmm. decontextualize... Uh, bands, I generally don't like them. However, I think one of my first, well, my first greatest hits thing that I bought with my own money was actually something called the Beatles Ballads, which was, I bought it at the, oh, at the yeah. Kmart. But I did have the Who's Greatest Hits, which I don't know if you know that one, but it's a, there's like a Union Jack suit or something. And anyway, anyway, I had that and I was quite smitten with it. And I think it had, have you heard the song uh, Baba O'Reilly? Do you know that one? Yes. <laughs> I think it's from the area you don't like, so I just wanted to clarify.
1: I'm not sure if you're being serious or not. Of course I've heard Sorry, that
2: Sorry, it's a bit of a reference to a comedian, uh, Joe Parra. <laughs> I don't know if you know Joe Parra. He was on my show recently. He's an American comedian, and he has – I'll send it to you after, Alex. I'll text it to you or whatever. But okay. he has a sequence on his show where his character – Has not heard the song Bob O'Reilly before and he just requests it on the radio over and over again. And the and the (laughs) DJ's like, yeah, it's a fairly big song. Anyway, I don't want to spoil it. I'll send it to you. It's just it is a it is a very unique moment uh, of someone discovering something magical. Because that song is very magical. I don't I don't care. Like I, I know what you're saying, but like everything about that song It's a journey. Absolutely. So he's going on the journey for the first time, and you see the song from his eyes for the first time. A song we take for granted, and I just think that's special. Anyway, where was I going with this? I look up uh, uh Lusitania. It's some sort of ship, uh, and I. Yeah. Do, do you know about Lusitania, the ship?
1: Well, well, I know about the 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 history of it. You do, but... okay. What is it? I mean, it there's just... no need. There's no need to get into that because <laughs> I used it strictly as a name. Like, it's not. Come on, let's not get into. I, I, you know, I,
2: I can't help it when World War history. No, but when someone names something after something like that, and you, you're like, "Lusitania, what is that? Some sort of, that sounds historical." Then you Google it. Yeah, and it's is it a ship that sank? I don't. You say you don't want to get into yeah. it. Forget, it is. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, it was a ship. Okay, so then I'm just like, oh well, he must have. You can't just. Sorry, Alex. I call foul. You can't just randomly pick the name <laughs> Lusitania out of history. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can. Anyway, it's just <laughs> it's just fascinating to me. Like I feel like you. The other part of songwriting, I think, whether you know it or not, is you might be writing about interpersonal dynamics, but you're capturing the context. So when I mm-hmm. ask if anything struck, strikes you about a nine year span of songs, uh, and I guess not all of them are that old, right? Some of them are. No.
1: Yeah. I'd say the first half is. All new. Yeah. And then in the second half, there are some that were in demo form from a long time ago that were then reworked and added to. Okay. So they all feel new to me, but some of the ideas go way back.
2: So let's separate you and the songs uh, from a personal dynamic on some level. It's going to be very hard to do. Do you see markers of what was going on in history of, In our history, like in the last nine years, do you see markers of sort of the public space in any of your songs, something that was going on, chatter? As you know, you know, nowadays, we talk a lot. We communicate a lot about our feelings, our sentiments, about what have you. So as you think of these songs, and I'm not, I don't want to color this. I don't have any concrete examples. But do you feel that a little bit? Like, do you feel a year when you look at one of these songs, you're like, oh, What the hell is going on in 2016 2017 oh yeah we were all talking about this or we were all experiencing this Mm.
1: no I think it's more micro than that for me it's more it was more internalized and personal yeah it would these songs are very much like like I said kind of about the tradition of pop songwriting and also they're not commenting socially I suppose I guess that's the way I'd put fair it. Fair
2: enough. Do you see the change yeah. in you? Because I feel like the last time we talked about Mets, or the last couple times, you've bec- since you become a thought, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. So that changes you. That transforms you as a person, I think. Yeah, deeply, yeah. Deep, deeply. Yes, fair yeah. enough. And it changes, I think, your view of the world. like The things you probably wouldn't have thought too much about, you're now like, wait a minute, I have a little person that's going into this world do you see that at all do you see pre-dad Alex in these songs and 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 post dad Alex in these songs
1: yeah I think I think in some moments yes yeah because some of them like I just said were, are very caught up in kind of the the minutia and the feelings and relationships and frankly I don't think the present day Alex would would care <laughs> about some of those feelings now but you know that's how it is like the things that you care about when you're younger you can never really understand them as you as you uh, mature like you're like yeah. wow what was i what was i worried about or what you know th- that's just for i think that happens to everybody and you go you know i was really caught up in something there but that's life, I think.
2: It's just a very unique project in this regard. Uh, I will say, Alex, like I don't know if you've thought too much about it, but the fact that these songs—it's a so its your first ever solo venture away from a band that mm-hmm. people know you the most from. But the songs span uh, almost the duration of the band. So, like, I, I think—is is that <laughs> yeah, right? Some of them, yeah. Some of them, yeah. yeah I
1: think I think the thing to—I'd say you know, seventy percent of the songs are pretty fresh. So, yeah, but yeah. I know what you're saying and I think, you know, you're right. It is kind of it's a bit of a time capsule thing.
2: Exactly. And and it's not just yeah. like you spent this downtime from scratch writing these songs. So, all I'm saying is this is where I'm coming from. It's just a very unique angle uh, and a, a unique project in that regard with different angles that I find fascinating because by going back in your and your hard drives and your and your archive of songs, you have to do this. Ref- it's reflective work. There's no way this isn't reflective, right? Because you're
1: absolutely, yeah. And so I absolutely. also, I al- and it uh, and it is mostly. It all comes from a uh, from being in a place now where I have you know um, the confidence or the I don't give a shit thing what I didn't have before. Like, I, I'm I'm so happy to release this music and not second-guess it. Like, I just, I love it. I want, and, and if people love it, that's great. And that's a new feeling for me. I think, you know, I, I, putting out music uh, can be really tough in some regards when it comes to, like, self-confidence. And and uh, I don't know. I, I'm just at a place uh, in my life now where I have that, a, a different feeling about it. I think I've grown that way, and I'm like, like I said, uh, just more confident in, in what I can make and, and happy to to share it, I suppose.
2: My perception of Mets is that there's a high, high, high commitment to excellence. Uh, everyone really wants everything to be, it, you know, it's 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 noise infused, but I feel like there's real purpose to whatever Mets does, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then when I think yeah, about, I, I believe that. But when I think about, so your your other band is Lids with uh, Brian Borchard <laughs> and, and and Doug McGregor, which uh, actually I think you released a single uh, through Sub Pop within the last year and a half or something, right? For their yeah, sing. we did yeah yeah. 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 So with the Singles Club yeah yeah. So th- all I'm getting at is when I think of Lids and now when I think of this, it seems like it doesn't. It's not to say that there's less of a commitment to excellence, but I feel like you're embracing. Looseness and happenstance a little bit more, maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's it is looser and it is less serious in some regards. But I still think when I'm making something, I do think you know you can have a an excellent record that is in an aesthetic that is loose. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't. Yeah. You know what I mean. Like, so I think I put the the same level of work and commitment into it as I would into a Mets record, but. It's just a totally different beast. And that was very much the, the intent.
2: It's interesting. My wife and I were driving with this on in the van uh, just before you and I got on this call. And she was like, huh, this reminds me of The Replacements. And I was like, oh, huh. hadn't thought of that. A band notorious for being really great but incredibly loose, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I think there's a spirit here that people are I- – I'll say that my wife, that was just something she said. Picking up That's on cool. some, picking up on something that
1: you know what I mean. There's the the whole aspect of the fact you know I'm not a professional engineer either. I think oh, that yeah. plays. There's some, you know there was a there was an embracing the fact that I was you know winging it when it comes to uh, you know there's the DIY spirit of I'm going to record it and I want it to sound this way. Even if it's not as high fi like knowingly not high fi you know. That's sort of what was the name of the game. Because at first I didn't, I actually didn't know if it would have a wide release like it's going to have, you know. Like I actually can't, I'm still really blown away by that alone. But, you know, the the spirit of it was just make it because it's helping you get through this time. And it's making you happy and maybe it can do that for other people. And hell, let's just say yes instead of saying no. Yeah.
2: Well, I I want to say again, I really appreciate that you made this record. Uh, I, I, Thank I, as you. you know, I'm a big fan of you and, and your work, so I'm happy about it. So, what is next per se for Weird Nightmare? It's a very stri- sorry. I didn't really even talk to you about this. Metz just got back from some touring. Is that correct?
1: Yes, we were just over in the UK.
2: And how was that for you? Uh, I mean, obviously in the context of pandemic stuff how was it
1: Uh, it was great i mean it was good to get back to it but touring right now is definitely uh, an intense experience and we had done a tour in the states that was you know we were testing every day and masked up but that was a couple months ago now in the uk there was zero masks and there was zero mandates and there was so it's very different depending on what country you go to but uh, but is you know. that
2: good or bad for you? Like every day, a friend of mine or a band I like is canceling a tour uh, yeah. because somebody's gotten ill. Would you prefer like? And there's increasingly calls from artists saying, "Please wear a mask when you come to our show." Yeah. Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable on stage in these places that have nothing, no protocol?
1: You know, I I want people to be safe. I want people to be you know respectful to each other and you know the bands because as you said you basically if you if you get it your tour is canceled so it's just such a huge risk i i I want people to do what they want but at the same time i want them you know i lean to the side of you know mask up and get tested and yeah um so it was odd to be over there It, it felt very different that that they were seemingly pretending it wasn't a thing anymore <laughs>
3: when when numbers
1: were skyrocketing you know so but you know uh, it was great to be back at it and and the uk is always good to us so uh that that was cool
2: on an anecdotal level did everyone come back okay were you all fine after that experience yeah
1: yeah it's okay, funny that's... most of the tours we managed to to yeah. no one got it which is kind of a miracle.
2: I saw you guys briefly in Edmonton uh and I I didn't go to the show just out of my own whatever. No, you know yeah. what? I I always have this apologetic lilt in my voice and fuck it. Like I I don't I'm <laughs> don't not apologize. Com- People shouldn't I feel like the <laughs> the well-informed are being viewed as like worry worrywarts and yeah. I'm sick of it because I'm just like no, it doesn't make no sense to do these some of these things, right? Anyway, my point is I saw you guys the next day and uh actually I helped I, we all went in and we loading out, and we were all wearing masks. And I felt like you guys seem to have it down. I think like you were all wearing, even outside, you were wearing the stuff. So yeah. I was cons- I was worried about you guys, but you, you you did you did a great job. So anyway, it yeah. sounds like you're doing a great job. Where I was coming from, though, beyond Mets, which I, is there more stuff for Mets coming up, live shows?
1: Yeah, uh, there is. We've got some European festivals at the end of the summer. Okay, and in between that. I'm doing some shows with Weird Nightmare, which... Oh, good. Great. Like, we're doing a show with Superchunk, We're doing some Kiwi Jr. shows throughout the summer. So oh, Some fun stuff like that, yeah. I yeah. was
2: going to ask. Yeah, I don't... So, Weird Nightmare has, like, a sub-pop page. Where do people go to learn more about Weird Nightmare and to follow your exploits there, Alex?
1: Well, weirdnightmare.net is uh, where you can... Canadians can order the album and stuff and get it, you know, cheaper than if you're going to go to sub-pop. But... Anywhere else, Sub Pop's good, and uh, they'll yeah, they'll have all that. And not all the social media stuff. I've got all that, too. You know.
2: Yeah, you're doing the thing. <laughs> you there, know how to do it. Yeah. Is there a Canadian label, per se, or is it just cheaper to order? It's
1: Sub Pop Worldwide.
2: Oh, great. Okay, awesome. Yeah. All right, so yeah. I haven't done that yet. I'm going to order myself a copy uh, uh, after we're done. Um, so, okay, we've done all the business. Uh, usually I like to go out on a song. As we're speaking, this weird nightmare record will be out shortly. Is there a song that you can recommend that we go out on?
1: yeah, sure. Let's play wrecked uh, featuring Alicia from bully
2: any particular- is, is it just because it has a nice feature? was there any other reason that came to mind?
1: Uh, i j- yeah, I think it's mostly because i'm I was pleased with how that collaboration came together and and I think took the song from a point where I was happy with it to a point where I was really stoked about it so she she uh added a lot
2: all right let's do this uh, right now this is from the self-titled new album by a weird nightmare uh this is uh wrecked alex thank you so much for being back on my show and from being being a making stuff that's a weird nightmare it's a weird nightmare people will listen to it <laughs> and they might have nightmares we'll see what happens anyway no it's it's lovely to chat with you again and best of luck with everything in the future
1: thank you To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Thanks once again to Alex Edkins for returning to this particular podcast. This time, what episode are we at? I've already lost track. I had it written down and I can't remember. What is it? Do you remember? It says somewhere in the thing... That it's uh, oh 687 sometimes i forget and i lose track i could probably just record over this but what the hell sometimes vish makes mistakes okay thanks to alex for appearing on this the 687th episode of creative control which is part of the entertainment one podcast network and is available wherever you get your podcasts if you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter please visit vishkana.com that's my website also, you can like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vish Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly donation, which is really the only constant and consistent uh, stream of income for all of this work that I do. It's really appreciated those of you who do go to uh, Patreon. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content, some of which is derived uh, from these uh, interviews that you're listening to on the free podcast feed. Uh, Some of them are derived from my audio archives. I go in there sometimes and I pick stuff out and I I post it up there. Anyway, yeah, $6 or more a month grants you access to that. So Please go to patreon.com slash Control and support this show with uh, some uh, money. And if you would like, uh, just for your efforts there and for your support, I've got some Creative Control t shirts still in stock, and if you'd like one, just message me on Patreon and I'll, I'll get you one while supplies last. Thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order things and go to their stores in Calgary and Edmonton if you're in those areas. But anyway, you can learn more about them at blackbird.ca. Also, want to thank Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee. Uh, respectively. They're all located in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. All of them provide in-kind support for this show. Thanks also to Jim Guthrie for lending me some music that I use on the show uh, every week, really. Jim, you're the best. You can learn more about Jim, if you're not Jim, at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode uh, with me and Alex. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll check out his new uh, project, Weird Nightmare, and support Mets however you can as you may know if you follow the show I like Mets I like Alex like all those guys also thanks for subscribing to this podcast or following it and maybe telling your friends to do the same Uh, and spread the word about the show that's usually how uh, the things pick up I think people talk about it and they go oh man you gotta check out this show guy uh, makes mistakes sometimes anyway thanks so much I will talk to you soon bye for now